0: Good morning and welcome to SHIC Talk, a podcast presented by the Swine Health Information Center. I'm Barb Detterman, your host for this edition of our SHIC podcast. SHIC is made possible by Pork Checkoff Funding, and our mission is to protect and enhance the health of the U.S. swine herd. For today's episode of SHIC Talk, we welcome the Executive Director of SHIC, Dr. Paul Sunberg, and our new Associate Director, Dr. Megan Niederwerder. First of all, on today's podcast, Let's welcome Megan, not only to our podcast, but also to Shik. And Megan, would you just give us a background of your uh, research and some of the things that you've done, your background, and before joining Shik?
1: Yes, good morning, Barb. It's great to be here. And just to give everybody a little bit of background about me, I am a veterinarian and uh, practiced for three years prior to going back and obtaining a PhD in pathobiology focused on viral diseases of swine, and was a faculty member for about six years with a research program focused on PERS, ASF, PCV-2, classical swine fever virus, and pseudorabies. And then was thrilled to join the Schick team in April, started April 1st, and it excited to be here with you today on the podcast.
0: Thank you very much as um, everybody can tell you've had a great background to add to our Schick portfolio. So today's topic is we're going to talk about all the feed research that Schick has been involved in. We know that this is a moving target for the swine industry and it's one that need has needed a lot of research and Shick has been one of the pioneers and one of the pushers to get a lot of this research done. So, Paul, would you like to start us off with talking just
2: a little bit about the need for the research, feed research that we have? Sure. Back in uh, 2013, when we got PED, one of the primary questions was, where'd it come from? How'd we get it? We knew PED was in China. We knew it was circulating. And all of a sudden, it showed up in multiple spots in the U.S. that seemed to be unrelated to each other. AASV, the American Association of Swine Veterinarians, did a very quick survey of those sites to look for common inputs, common, commonalities among those sites to see if we could identify where PED got in. Feed was, feed components were um, suggested. That, that was very quick. It was, it was down and dirty and we needed to get it done fast and feed components were suggested. It wasn't any smoking gun. But as we went through the PED outbreak and USDA did, also did an assessment of the entry of that virus, they came up with the suggestion that it was imported into the U.S. as a contaminant on feed totes. Now the the totes are the containers that feed components like soybean meal is imported in. The question for me was, look, if it's on the feed totes, it must be in the feed. And so that's that was really the start of it, just as a question of how did we how do we get things into the country that that we don't want to have and look for all of those kinds of different open windows. Very good. So
0: how did we start our re- research then? And where did we turn to get good research going on this feed issue?
2: Yeah, you know, the the very first of this, practically the very first of this thing. Was questioned by Dr. Scott D. with the Pipestone system, and he asked. Uh, he called and he said, "You know, we should do some research on on the survivability of PED in in some feed and see see what happens." Because there's that question, why don't we see what happens if we put PED in feed and and we uh, try to hold it for a while and see see if it survives? And as Scott and I talked about it it grew to let's not just do PED, let's do pseudorabies and let's do a variety of different viruses and let's not just do whole feed, let's look at uh, all kinds of different feed ingredients. So it grew into kind of a matrix of this virus in this ingredient and that virus in in that ingredient and, and in a variety of different ones And that was the beginning, it was an idea that was brought and we talked about it and made it a little bit better and ended up with some very foundational research about the ability for viruses to survive in transport conditions across the ocean in different feed components. So Megan, how did you get involved in this research? Yeah,
1: really, that beginning study looking at the survivability of different viruses in commonly imported feed ingredients as well as products of animal origin. I worked with Scott D and actually performed the simulated transoceanic shipment model. In our BSL3 laboratory or biocontainment level three laboratory, working with African swine fever virus, pseudorabies virus, and classical swine fever virus. And essentially, the feed ingredients are contaminated with the viruses. They're then exposed to these simulated transoceanic conditions. And then the assessment at the conclusion of the model is did the virus survive? And if if so, which ingredients did it survive in? And so that was my part of this project in collaboration with Scott D and Pipestone. So did we stop with one study?
2: Yeah, no, we couldn't stop with one study because any good research ends up with more questions. There's answers, but there's always more questions. And we couldn't stop with one study. We had to, there's a whole lot of of different things that go on with importing feed or feed manufacturing. So we had to take a look at the the stability of the different viruses and then make sure that we could demonstrate the infectivity and the transmissibility of those viruses in natural feeding conditions. And that's an important thing because, yeah, maybe you can find it by PCR and feed, maybe you can't. But if you can't, the virus may be hiding in there anyway. Natural feeding conditions could cause an infection. We did that with pigs with a number of different viruses doing the same type of thing and looking at infectivity and, and demonstrated that, yes, even if it's PCR negative, it sometimes it's difficult to grab a sample of feed and test it with a PCR and, and sometimes catch that virus. So the bioassay with feed conditions is an important piece of that. Not only did we then do those variety of different viruses that we started with, but I think one of the other important things that happened is we were able to get with the folks on Plum Island with USDA ARS, the research group on Plum Island, and we asked them to do the same type of thing that Megan did with ASF. We wanted them to do FMD in feed and look at the survivability of foot and mouth disease, and the infectivity uh, from natural feeding. It was the first time anybody has looked at that, found out that FMD can do the same thing. There are different strains of FMD, there are different conditions, but uh, found out that FMD can do the same thing. And so it all underscores perhaps a low risk. And I wanna emphasize, that overall, the risk from imported feed is perhaps very low, but the consequences of an infection are so high that we have to do everything we can do to close that window and make sure that even a low risk doesn't get through. And I believe in an
0: article that we published, we talked about the research examined 12 viruses. It was very
2: extensive, you're saying. Uh, Yeah, it was very extensive. What we did is is looked at the list of viruses and tried to pick out for the laboratory in the initial study outside of Megan's lab. In the initial study, we tried to pick out surrogates for foreign animal diseases that were viruses that were very similar. Now, what Megan did down with her biosecurity laboratory at Kansas State then confirmed that using African swine fever virus itself. As a producer, what is the consequences of this what and what is the value of this
0: research to my operation?
1: Yeah, I think one of the things that this has really brought to light is for producers to consider with their feed mills where they are sourcing their feed ingredients from sort of bring bring to the forefront or bring awareness to the global sourcing of feed ingredients what's the risk of certain feed ingredients coming from specific countries at certain time points. So of course, if a country has a foreign animal disease present or is currently undergoing an outbreak, perhaps the feed ingredients imported from that country are now at a higher risk. And so it's really brought to the forefront those considerations about Can we have safe sourcing of feed ingredients? Can we think about for high risk ingredients, storage protocols or potentially mitigation strategies such as chemical or physical mitigation strategies to reduce the risk of those feed ingredients being a source of foreign animal diseases onto your farm? So really thinking about not only supplies and equipment and personnel as potential uh, routes of disease introduction, but really the consideration of feed and feed ingredients and how we can uh, protect the swine herd from that as a source of diseases. Very good. And I think, Paul, you probably
0: uh, know a little bit about the resources that we have available that's come out of some of this research that we've put together and put those resources on our website. Can, can
2: you explain those just a little bit? The real actionables here, the real actionables start with your feed supplier, start with the ingredient supplier and your whole feed supplier on the website. There is a list of questions to bring to your feed supplier to ask them about the feed safety, about how they control the risk of importation of different viruses into, the, into your feed. And so that list is there. And then also there's a list of mitigations and, and things that can be done. We've got a holding time calculation for feed ingredients to mitigate virus transmission, a document that goes through the steps to analyze, to, to ask about the safety of your feed. There's conditions under which feed components can be manufactured in in other countries. And if those conditions are biosecure and they're maintained through shipment, then those feed ingredients should be safe when they get here. If they're not manufactured under biosecure conditions, or if there's a chance that they could be contaminated in transit, that's when things like uh, holding times come into play. An example is 75 degrees Fahrenheit for 30 days should knock down the viruses such that they have a much greater amount of safety for use. Of course, the biggest safety factor that anybody can have with importation of of feed ingredients is ask your feed supplier if they get supplies from areas of the world that don't have foreign animal diseases that we don't want to have if ASF isn't in that area that you're importing soybean meal from or some other factor some other feed component from then you're not going to get ASF through that component so that's really important the other thing that I want to mention about chemical mitigations we've done a lot of work on feed additives and testing feed different feed additives for the ability to inactivate viruses that may be there that information is also on the website we've got all of this research information on our swinehealth.org website, but we don't yet have a product that is labeled for, by the Food and Drug Administration for addition to the feed for viral mitigation. They may be labeled for other things, and they may be grass or generally accepted as safe, but they're generally accepted as safe for the intended purpose that they're used for. That doesn't mean that they're generally accepted as safe for some doing something else and that doing something else would be viral mitigation in feed. So even though there may be feed additives that could be used as a mitigant in feed, they're not labeled yet, and using them for that purpose is illegal, and we want to make sure that producers and veterinarians understand their responsibility to abide by that law.
0: You bet. That's really important. Mentioning the website, swinehealth.org, where we have all that information is also important for veterinarians and producers to be able to go get that information. Another quick thing that, that isn't talking about uh, the feed research is, are we done? What would you say to that, Paul? We're not done yet.
2: We, we won't be done. I don't know that we'll reach a spot where we're done because there will always be another question, but we've come an awfully long way. From 2013, when we didn't know what we were doing, this is just a very short time to develop the body of research that's been done. One of the things that we're doing as a next step is with Dr. Chad Polk at Kansas State University and a project to look at feed mill decontamination. If a virus, if ASF or some other foreign animal disease virus gets into a feed mill, These feed mills are not designed to be taken apart and decontaminated or disinfected. The belts, the chains, everything in there, the augers, everything in there are not designed to be cleaned up. So what we're trying to do is figure out what's a practical way to clean up a feed mill should it be infected with a virus, should a virus get into that mill and get into the environment of the the mill. So that's an example of the next steps. I don't know that we're ever going to be done completely. But the body of evidence that we have now certainly does point to the risk from feed. And we've got to be able to do everything we can do to make sure we're as safe as possible. And Megan, as your role has
0: shifted from researcher to uh, helping Schick tell producers and veterinarians and others about this information, what do you think will be the most important thing for producer to remember about feed?
1: Yeah, it's been an interesting journey looking at feed research because now from the associate director standpoint, we really sort of look at the big picture and how can we implement research projects or initiate research projects that will provide actionable items back to producers and veterinarians to reduce the risk of feed being a source of diseases to to your site. And so one of the things is thinking about this concept of feed biosecurity. So again, going back to talking to your feed supplier, where are the feed ingredients coming from? Can they be sourced from a lower risk country or region? What are the biosecurity protocols that the feed mill has in place with regards to visitors and downtime for after travel for the people that work at the feed mill, all of the components of biosecurity that you have on your swine farm, does your feed mill actually implement some of those similar biosecurity protocols? So that's one aspect that we've really learned about is that because we know that the risk of feed or feed ingredients is there for certainly some of the most important foreign animal diseases that we consider, such as ASF, we have to go back and consider how can we protect the feed source to the greatest extent so that it is the most safe when we offer that feed to our pigs. And so going back to the feed mill, also thinking about general biosecurity protocols at the swine farm. So again, considering how we prevent these foreign animal diseases from entering the farm, not only through feed, but through other high risk activities, or high risk items that come into the farm. So always thinking about biosecurity and how do we continue to consistently implement those biosecurity protocols on the farm. And I think the other aspect with regards to any foreign animal disease or disease risk is being vigilant with your veterinarian, but also as The animal caretakers and thinking about how do we rapidly respond or recognize any unusual clinical signs uh, in the farm so that we are most ready to detect and diagnose any new introduction of diseases. Dr. Sundberg, is there anything else that you would like to
0: add to our information here that we're sharing on feed research or taking it home to a
2: farm? Yeah, there are a couple of things, Barb. One is the materials that are on the swinehealth.org website uh, give specifics about time and temperature, specifics about questions to ask the feed supplier. So we don't have time to go through all of those specifics. So get to the swinehealth.org website and get to those materials. The second thing that I want to make sure that we bring up is that the Swine Health Information Center isn't the only player in this thing. The National Pork Board american feed industry association the united soybean association and even the canadians the animal nutrition association of canada they've all put money and all put resources into uh helping with this research it, it's been a very collaborative effort swine health information center can't do it by itself because we've got to involve all of the feed industries and all of the other groups together so I wanna give a shout out to those folks because they've really done a good job and, and working together, we've made all of this progress.
0: That's a very good point. And I think it's really uh, important for producers to understand that all these groups are working together and we're trying to make an impact with on their farm by everybody working together on that. Megan, is there anything else that you would like to add on that we might've missed on our research discussion or feed discussion?
1: I think we covered most of the topics, but I think the, the resources that we have on the, the SHIC website, again, the information that we have generated uh, through the years on these research projects, really thinking about the risk of importation, the risk of transmission, the stability of the viruses, also different mitigation strategies, and then also the, the detection and diagnosis of the presence of viruses in the feed has also been an aspect of research that Schick has prioritized as this is a difficult sample uh, to detect contamination. So that's been another priority with regards to Schick. Also, please feel free to reach out to us uh, if there are any uh, questions or any additional information that we can provide. And uh, we just uh, are appreciative of the opportunity to talk about this research. And for those, if they have
0: any questions, both uh, Paul and Megan's contact uh, information, their emails are on the website. So if you get on there and you have questions about what you're looking at and want to get a hold of them, their information is right there on the website and you're able to email them, get some direct information from them that way. Thank you very much. I think this has been a very interesting discussion and one that as producers, we can use every day on our farms as we try our best to keep all diseases out of our herd, and uh, work collaboratively with everyone on the disease prevention, keep our herds healthy, and our products safe for Americans to eat. Thank you, Dr. Paul Sundberg, Executive Director of Swine Health Information Center, and Dr. Megan Niedewerter, who is the new Associate Director of the Swine Health Information Center. I appreciate your input today and sharing your information. Thank you, Barb. Yep, thanks, Barb. Thank you for listening to Chick Talk from the Swine Health Information Center. Learn more about our organization and our mission to protect the health of the U.S. swine herd at www.swinehealth.org.